0: I really love you. I'm so happy to be back here, and of course I love pastors, Buddy and Gay, the rest of your staff, but I love you, and I love getting to meet you and talk with you and hug you in between services, so thank you for having me back. Um, This morning's message, Two Prophets Out to Lunch, Spiritual Deception Part 1. We'll have spiritual deception part two in the next service because there's so much amazing material from God's word on this. We just can't cram it into one service. It's easy to be deceived, isn't it? Advertisers do it all the time. And a lot of times we we fall for deceptive advertising. Well, let me show you some examples of what I'm talking about here. Uh, as you can see in this photo, uh, the brochure advertised a luscious Gourmet buffet. All the food you can eat. Are you getting hungry yet? (laughs) But when they actually showed up, this is what they got. (laughs) It's all gone and what's there doesn't look too good. Let's look at the next one. This next slide shows a pristine beach in a kind of a secluded area maybe you want to get alone or maybe you want to take your spouse or your bff somewhere just spend some time with the lord yeah i just want to be alone read a book lay out in the sun this is what it actually was Not quite so secluded, was it? Let's look at the next one. Here we see some false advertising. Uh, It's a great little swimming pool, my first swimming pool. You can see mom on the outside and three little children on the inside having a great time playing in the summer water. But this is what actually came. (laughs) There's barely enough room for little Susie in that pool, isn't there? And then we have another one. More false advertising in this next slide. Oh, that was the last slide. Okay. In this message, we're going to learn how easy it is to be deceived and how important it is for us to know God's truth and not be Moved from it. Now remember, this is a two part message, so I hope you'll come back in the next service for the other half, okay? We're looking at an obscure little story found. It's sort of tucked, uh, nestled into 1 Kings chapter 13. So we're back in the Old Testament, and uh, I have to give you just a little bit of background. Before we get to 1 Kings chapter 13 and this obscure little story, if we take a few steps back to 1 Kings chapter 12, uh, we'll see that evil King Jeroboam is uh, ruling, and he has set up idol worship in the city of Bethel. In fact, he has set up two golden calves. Can we wait on that slide? Uh, We're not there yet. Uh, He has set up two golden calves, and he said, hey, people, these are the golden calves that brought." You out of Egypt. How dare he? We know a golden calf doesn't have any power. We know that it was God who released his people from the cruel rule of Pharaoh and led them through the desert for 40 years and has released them from captivity. But uh, evil King Jeroboam is saying, No, these golden calves are the one. Let's worship these golden calves. They are the ones that you owe thankfulness and, and gratitude to. Now, all of us really have our own golden calves, don't we? Um, we've talked in the past about how we need to clear the stage of the idols in our lives, and so if if we look deeply inside ourselves, each one of us can find a, a golden calf. Whether it's a house or a big piece of land or children, family, recreation, entertainment, whatever, anything in our lives that becomes as important as God or more important than God becomes an idol. It becomes something that we worship, and a lot of times. We don't even realize it until it's almost too late. But even a moment of worshiping something else other than God, something that we're giving all of our attention to, uh, something that we're making the center of our lives, can lead us to a place uh, of spiritual trouble. And it can cause us more walk Uh, more trouble in our walk with the Lord than we could ever imagine. So right now would be a great time for us to search our hearts and to see if there are any idols in our lives. So right now at the beginning of this message, would you just mind bowing your heads for a moment and silently asking God, Father, are there any golden calves in my life? Would you do that? Jesus, if there's any golden calf, Lord, if there's any idol in my life, would you bring it to my attention? In the next few moments. Father we don't want a golden calf in our life. Jesus we don't want any uh, idols. We don't want any golden images. So in the next few moments we ask. That you work in our minds and our hearts. And you reveal to us anything. That has become too important in our lives. So that we can give that to you. In your name I pray, amen. Okay, so King Jeroboam set up these golden calves. He's set up idol worship in Bethel, and he's even set up a feast. He's offered incense and burnt sacrifices, and all of this coincides with the feast of Passover that God had established. You see, Satan always works in counterfeit. God established a piece of, uh, the feast of Passover. Now Satan is working through Jeroboam to establish His own false feast. There's always a counterfeit in Satan. In fact, in Scripture, we have the Holy Trinity. We have God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In the book of Revelation, we see the satanic counterfeit uh, uh, Trinity. We see Satan the dragon, Antichrist the beast, and the false prophet. Satan always works in counterfeits. You remember uh, Moses uh, as he went before Pharaoh and he, uh, the Lord worked through uh, miracles in Moses. Pharaoh brought out his magicians empowered by Satan. They were able to almost imitate uh, most of the miracles that God did through Moses. uh, Satan always works in counterfeit. So Jeroboam has set up the city of Bethel as sort of an idol mania. Idols all over the place. And the idol worship that Jeroboam has brought into Israel is destroying the nation. And it's causing the wrath of God to come down on Israel. But his hard heart Wouldn't listen to the warnings that God sent. So God sent another warning, and this time on high volume through a prophet. We don't know this prophet's name. Scripture doesn't give us his name. Scripture only refers to him as the man of God. So next slide. We're going to use those those letters, the man of God, and call him Timog. The man of God. Because scripture doesn't give us his real name. So Timog is what we're looking at right now. Let's go ahead and go to scripture and let's get his story. Here we go. By the word of the Lord, a man of God, that's the man of God, came from Judah to Bethel as Jeroboam was standing by the altar to make a sacrifice. By the word of the Lord... He cried out against the altar, 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 this is what the Lord says. This is Timog speaking. The man of God is speaking. A son named Josiah will be born to the house of David, and on you, altar, he will sacrifice the priests of the high places who make offerings here, and human bones will be burned on you, altar. Okay, this is Timog, the man of God, and he's giving a true prophetic word that really. A lot of it won't take place for another 350 years. Because that's when Josiah, a godly king, will be brazed up and he will make this prophecy come true. And he will crush the altars and and do exactly what he has said here. He's going to stop the worship of golden calves. Let's keep reading. That same day, the man of God, Timog, gave a sign. This is the sign the Lord has declared. The altar will be split apart and ashes on it will be poured out. Well, King Jeroboam didn't want his altars torn apart. This angered him. And so he reacts in anger. I'm switching to the Living Bible now. Let's keep reading. The king was very angry with Timog, the man of God, for saying this. He shouted to his guards, arrest that man, and he shook his fist at him. Instantly, the king's arm became paralyzed in that position. He couldn't pull it back again. At the same moment, a white crack appeared in the altar. The ashes poured out just as Timog said what happened, for this was the prophet's proof that God had been speaking through him. Okay. Okay. When Jeroboam reached out to grab Timog, God shriveled and paralyzed the king's hand. Let's keep reading. Oh, please, 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 the king cried out to the prophet, beg the Lord your God to restore my arm again. So Timog prayed to the Lord and the king's arm became normal again. <laughs> okay, this kind of bizarre so far, but stick with me here, God's presence was so powerful with Timog, the man of God, that he gave him power. He gave him power from the supernatural realm to heal this king's arm. Now, there's no evidence, though, of repentance on King Jeroboam's part. Notice, he doesn't pray, Father God, would you restore my arm? No, he doesn't have a relationship with God. He's not even connected to God, and he knows this. And so he asks the prophet, Timog, would you pray? You pray to your God that he would heal my arm. So there's no sign of, oh, I'm so sorry. No, he just wants his arm back. (laughs) I don't care what I've done is wrong, I just want my arm back. So he wasn't ready to repent or he would have repented. There's no remorse over the sin of idol worship. No uh, repent. He just wants his arm back. All right. God granted the request through Timog, the man of God, and he got his arm back. Let's keep reading. Then the king, Jeroboam, said to the prophet Timog, hey, come to the palace with me, okay, and rest a while and have some food and I'll give you a reward because you healed my arm. But... The king couldn't stop Timog by force. Remember, he tried to reach out. Since he can't stop him by force, now he's trying to win him over with favor, friendliness, and fortune. If Satan can't beat us, he'll try to buy us. Have you ever noticed that? But Timog, the man of God, demonstrates an amazing restraint here. Let's look at his response But the man of God, Timog, answered King Jeroboam, Hey, even if you were to give me half of your possessions, I would not go with you nor would I eat bread or drink water here. Why not? Well, because I was commanded by the word of the Lord, you must not eat bread or drink water or even return by the way you came. So he took another road and did not return by the way he had come to Bethel. Okay, God was very specific with this prophet, wasn't he? Go tell King Jeroboam this, when finished, don't eat and don't drink and go home a different route. Do you know that we serve a God of specifics? He doesn't deal in generalities. We don't have to guess, oh, what is he going to say? What is he going to do? How can I know God's will? He'll let you know. You serve a God of specifics. Now the first thing he did after creating Adam, even before he formed Eve out of Adam's rib, was to give Adam a very specific warning. Let's look at it. Genesis 2, 15 to 17. The Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to care for it. And the Lord commanded Adam, you are free to eat of any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. Do you notice how specific God was. Adam knew where the tree was located. He knew which tree it was. He knew specifically what not to do with the tree. God is never cryptic when giving us a warning. God has never made an empty threat. My friends, God does what he says he will do. And he has given specific instructions to Timog, the man of God. Let's look at him. Go to Bethel, the city of idols. Confront King Jeroboam. Prophesy about the altar. Leave the city of Bethel on a different road. Don't eat and don't drink anything. Okay, so, so far, Timog, the man of God, is obedient. We see him living in God's will. Timog, we know, is weary from the journey. He's tired he, he's hungry and he's thirsty, but he refuses King Jeroboam's offer. Timog is demonstrating radical obedience to God's instructions. He refused to go with the king. What a test. But guess what? He passed it with flying colors. I mean, King Jeroboam could have given Timog half his kingdom. He could have given him, probably would have, a great feast, expensive gifts. No, but this man of God wasn't swayed by that. He was set on keeping God's commands. No amount of money was going to lead him astray. He was intent on remaining faithful to God. That's what God wants from you. He wants you intent. He wants you set and determined in living in radical obedience to the lordship of Jesus Christ. That's what God wants you. Now, so far, we see Timog has a dynamic ministry, don't we? He's a true man of God, Timog, and God has given him power from the supernatural realm to heal the king's arm. He's given him true prophetic words. He's got a dynamic ministry going on. Amazing things are happening in this man's ministry. But often, after a spiritual victory, Satan will do his best to discourage us. You might remember the story in 1 Kings 19 of Elijah. And he's just defeated 450 prophets of Baal. And after that, after that great victory, he runs away to a mountain and depression sets in. Lord, I'm the only one serving you. No, you're really not. I've got like 7,000 others who are serving me too. And so often after a, a spiritual victory, a spiritual high, Satan will come in and he'll try to depress us or he'll try to make us doubt. And the same thing is going to happen to you this week. If you allow God to do some wonderful things in your lives this morning... In your mind and in your heart, allow him to bring you closer to him, to deepen your relationship with him. Probably by tomorrow, if not sooner, Satan will be on your back saying, that didn't really happen. No, you're not really closer to God, so you went to church. Maybe you heard a fun message, (laughs) big deal. You'll forget about it in a couple of days. No, no, no. What God does in my life is real, and I'm not going to doubt that. Here's the deal, though. Satan has your number. And he knows what it will take to draw you away from the path that God has directed you to walk. And he's going to make it seem so innocent, so necessary, so right. But the end of that path leads to total disaster. How do you know? Well, it's scriptural. Let's look at it. There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. So Satan's going to make the road look right, feel right, seem right, because Satan is a master at making disobedience make sense. Satan is a master at making disobedience make sense. But again, the end of his path will always lead to total disaster. And a Christian can get on his path. And it can lead to losing your family. It can lead to losing your ministry, your job, your friends, your reputation, your home, your life. And so only you and God know right now If you're walking on the right path. So right now in the middle of this message, would you just stop for a few seconds and examine your heart? Right now, would you mind bowing your head and closing your eyes and asking God to show you in the next few minutes if you could be going down the wrong road? Let's do that. Father, I don't want to be on the wrong road. Yes, I'm a Christian. Yes, you've forgiven me of my sins. Yes, you've filled me with your Holy Spirit and are empowering me. But Jesus, sometimes, I, sometimes I'm sometimes i gullible. Sometimes I'm naive. And I don't want to be taken in by a, a different path. I don't want to believe something that's false that looks like it might be true. So Jesus, show me in the next few minutes if perhaps I've been going down a wrong path and didn't even realize it. We want your will today, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Satan hates it when you obey God and he's not going to sit by and allow you to simply waltz into heaven without any opposition. So I just want you to know, just know that he has your number and Satan is going to do everything in his power to stop you on your journey of the Lord's path. He's going to try to stop you. And often, it's just a little thing. It's just a little thing. It seems so innocent, and it draws us aside. But again, the end result will always be destruction. Entire ministries have fallen into a self-destructive mode, maybe because of the failure of one minister, or one staff member, or one board member. The devil had his number, and he knew what it would take to make him fall, and that's what was placed in his path. You see, Satan is keenly aware of your weak areas, and he He'll do everything in his power to mess you up. And he also knows what you cherish. So if you place a high value on family, do you think he's going to stay away from this area of your life? No. He'll do everything in his power to bring your family down. He'll try to bring you or a certain family member down. How many pastors do you know who loved and cherished their family, yet they still crossed inappropriate, immoral lines and they lost their family? Again, it's because Satan has your number. Satan, though, is not all-powerful. He's very powerful, but he's not omniscient, and he's not omnipotent. omnipotent. He's not omnipotent. God is all-powerful. Satan is powerful, but he's not all-powerful, thank God. But we have to be ever on guard, lest something or someone should lead us astray. All right, let's listen to what Paul said to the Galatians. You were running the race so well. Who has held you back from following the truth? You were doing so good. You were on the right path. You were here at church, either here in person or you were listening online. And you were giving and tithes and offerings and you were reading scripture. You were following me. You were on the right road. What happened? Who interfered? What message was it that you listened to that wasn't truth and you believed and it, and it got you off on a detour? What happened? You were running the race so well. Let's get back to Timog. So far, we've seen him make some wise decisions. He's following God's authority with 100% abandon, isn't he? Total surrender to God's will. But now, Satan is going to try to stop Timog. Satan has prepared a trap, one that's going to be hard to recognize until it's too late. Again, Satan is always trying, and he's never going to give up. So we must ever be on guard, have our spiritual defenses up. Okay, Timog is in God's will, he's doing God's work, and he has a very promising future as a prophet of God. But as he walked along, the excitement of the moment and the power of the move of God in his life began to fade a little bit. He became very tired. Timog was thirsty. Timog was hungry, and so he found a place to rest. Now, there's nothing wrong with rest unless we rest too long and unless we rest in the wrong place. Let's keep reading. Now, there was a certain old prophet living in Bethel. Notice, we're not given this guy's name. All we know is that he's an old prophet of God. So we'll call him Opog, Opog. Old prophet of God. All right, we've got Timog, the man of God, and we have Opog, old prophet of God. All right, we've all been tricked, haven't we? Usually around April Fool's Day, I get tricked a lot. Let me show you some of my favorite April Fool's Day tricks that I found. I don't. Can you tell what this is? Um, I hope you can see it. It's a a hallway, a school hallway, filled with styrofoam glasses of water. So there's no way that you can clean up that hallway without having a flood on your hands. You can't just sweep the whole thing out you can't it's just I mean it's too narrow to get through to each one of them and Pick. You, you've got a flood on your hands that's a pretty clever April's full joke let's go to the next one here we see can you tell what this is <laughs> The driver of the car is in a costume that looks exactly like a car seat. (laughs) And you can barely see his hand at the bottom of the steering wheel. So when he's driving down the road, it looks like it's an empty car that's driving itself. That is ingenious. I love that trick. Let's go to the next one. (laughs) How did they do this? I have no idea. Uh, But this is, as you can see, it's an SUV with shopping carts stacked tightly into each other around a circle. How How do you get out of that? I mean, you can't undo one cart, can you? In my mind, the only answer I can see is it's going to have to be airlifted out. I don't know. I don't know how to... It would take a lot of physics, somebody who's much smarter than I am, to figure out how in the world to get out of that. Now, let's look at this one. I love this next one. This this employee put a, a, a horn underneath the, the seat of her fellow employees. So every time uh, she sits down in the seat, that horn is going to go off. What a great a- April Fool's joke. I think that's the last one, isn't it? Okay, I think that's the last one. Okay, uh, we've all been fooled. It's easy to be tricked. But unlike humorous April Fool's jokes, Satan's tricks are not funny. Satan's tricks aren't funny at all. They're wicked, and they're deceptive, and they have eternal consequences. So right now, Satan is going to reach inside his evil bag of tricks, and he's going to try a fast one on Timog. So Satan has found an old prophet, Opog, old prophet of God, who lived in Bethel where King Jeroboam's idol worship is going strong. Now, Opog, old prophet of God, may have been a man of God at one time. But he's lived among the sin of idolatry for so long that he has settled in and around idolatry. He's he's even tolerating it. He's never speaking out against idolatry. Um, Opog has found a comfort zone here, and he's just decided to stay. Now, Opog knew idolatry was wrong, and sure, he still knew about God, and maybe even once in a while, he still worshiped God. But he has lost his anointing that God has given him as a prophet. Maybe every now and then he might feel God and hey that was enough for him. He had seriously deteriorated spiritually and that didn't bother him at all. Opa the old prophet of God didn't care that he was not living in God's will. In fact he's completely out of God's will by choosing to live in and among idolatry and accept the sin around him. Tolerance is not always a good thing. Tolerance is not always a good thing. Now as we continue reading, we find Ophag, old prophet of God, approaching Timog, the man of God. Here we go. He found him sitting under an oak tree and asked, are you the man of God who came from Judah? I am, Timog replied. Okay, so word has gotten out. Word has gotten out that Timog, the power of God through Timog has healed Jeroboam's arm. Word has gotten out that the altars have been cracked. Word has gotten out in the city of Bethel. And Opog has heard about it really really an act of god happened here no act of god ever happened in bethel because again it was a satanic city that had been given over to satan and so opog hears about it so he starts searching i gotta find that guy i gotta find are you him are you the the man of god are you Timog? are you the one that he worked through yeah i am i'm he that's me yes i am here well, the term sitting here under the oak tree, the term sitting means much more here. If you go back and look at the original language, it means a whole lot more than simply sitting in the shade and resting a bit. Remember, there's, there's nothing wrong with resting unless we rest in the wrong place and unless we rest for too long. But Timog has actually set up a temporary home, And he was living under that oak tree. He's built a shelter for himself. So how long did that take? Maybe a couple of months. I mean, he's more than just sitting. He's been here a while. Timog's first mistake was that he failed to get out of the land of idolatry. God had told him to move on. Go home. Don't eat, don't drink. Go home a different way. But Timog decided to rest for a while and he rested too long and he rested in the wrong place and now Satan springs his trap and he's using an old spiritually deteriorated prophet of God to do the work for him so let's watch now as Satan unfolds this plot before our eyes here we go. then the old man Opog said to Timog, Come home with me and eat. No, Timog replied, I can't. For I'm not allowed to eat or to drink any water at Bethel. He's right outside the city limits of Bethel. So he's eating and drinking, but he's on the outskirts, but he's still close to it. The Lord strictly warned me against it. And he also told me, don't return home by the same road that I came on. But Opog said, hey, I'm a prophet too, just as you are. And an angel gave me a message from the Lord. I am to take you home with me and give you food and water. But the old man was lying to him. They went back together and Timog ate some food and drank some water at Opog's home. Beware when someone comes to you and says, I have a word from the Lord for you. (laughs) We need to make sure that that word is really given from the Lord and not from the heart of another Christian who has his or her own ulterior motive for giving you a word. Too many people have allowed a word spoken by someone else to lead them completely out of the will of God or just to deter them a little bit from the will of God. And just with this old prophet, the word given is still a lie even though it may have been given with good intentions. Well, I'm a prophet too, just as you are. Well, no, maybe at one time this may have been true, but now this aged old man is only a shadow of what he used to be. Because if he had been a prophet, just as Timog was, then God would have never had to bring Timog all the way over here to Bethel to deliver the message because Opog would have delivered the message. But he's not doing his job. He's not following his job description as a prophet. How has Opog, old prophet of God, gotten to this point? Okay, again, he's a prophet who's living in Bethel. He's living in the realm of, of s- Satan's city, in the realm of rebellion. He knew personally of King Jeroboam's evil ways. He had seen the golden images, but they were instructed to bow and worship. He had watched the altar be erected, but he's not doing anything about it. He's ignoring his job description as a prophet. Opog's sin is negligence it's a sin of doing nothing it's also the sin of tolerance it's a sin of neutrality so god has to get a man from judah Timog, and bring him all the way over here to bethel to do the job that opog is not doing wow We all want to be used by God, I think. I mean, I really think you do. You're here on a Sunday morning or you're watching online because you care about God and what he wants you to do in your life and through your life. And if you're following him, you're a disciple of God, you really do want to be used by God. You desire for God to use you in the body of Christ. But guess what? If we're not obedient, God will find somebody else to do the job that scares me. Lord, I want to do the job you want me to do. I don't want to be disobedient and and you have to say, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to get somebody else to do the job because Susie, you're not being obedient. We want to be obedient. In fact, we want to live in radical obedience to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So let's focus on five things from this obscure story as we wrap it up. Number one, number one thing is Are there any idols in your life? Are there any golden calves in your life? Anything that you're investing too much time and energy and focus on can be an idol. We prayed about that at the beginning of the service. Has God brought anything to your attention? Are you on the right path? We also prayed about that. Has God brought anything to your mind? Maybe a slight detour. Maybe you took a wrong turn in the fork of the road. Maybe you've been lured onto a path that seems right. It looks enticing, but it's actually leading you towards spiritual disaster. Again, anything that draws you away from total obedience to God is a wrong path. This might be a relationship that you're involved in. It could be a specific habit in your life. Important thing number two, have you truly repented? You see, King Jeroboam never repented. What does repent mean? Doesn't that mean just asking God to forgive my sins? No, that's confession and probably everyone here has asked God to forgive their sins. Repentance is different. Repentance means to turn away and walk the opposite direction from. So I've asked God to forgive my sins, but am I still living here among my sinful lifestyle? Or have I left my sinful lifestyle? Or am I still holding on to that one thing, that one sin, that one part of my life? That's not repentance. King Jeroboam stood in the presence of God, He experienced a miracle from God, but he never repented. Many of you have been in the presence of God this morning, right now. You're in the presence of God. You've enjoyed praise and worship music right from the throne of heaven in the presence of God. Many of you have experienced a touch of God on your lives. But have you truly repented, turned away, turned around and walked away? from a sinful lifestyle, or are you still holding on to a sinful part of your life? Important thing number three, T-Mog rested too long and in the wrong place. Have you been resting spiritually so long that you've fallen asleep? Because that's a danger point. You know, I've had friends over the years who maybe they've been involved in a church for a long time, And then suddenly they left that church and they went to another church. And and I've said, hey, why'd you leave, uh, let's just say First Church, why'd you leave First Church and and go to, um, let's just call it, Central Church. Why'd you leave first? I mean, oh, Susie, we had been at First Church for so long, and we did. We were so involved there. We were greeters, and we taught us. We led a small group, and we uh, worked with the youth, and we sang on the praise team. And we were just worn out. So we left First Church and went to Central Church. And now we just kind of come in and rest, and then we can leave. We just need to be fed. We're just tired of giving and ministering. We just need to be in a place where we can just sit back and be fed. What a cop out. (laughs) I don't even have words for that. So I'll just use sounds. God wants all of us to participate in a ministry. He doesn't want us to simply sit back and feed me, feed me. We're not little babies that need to be fed spiritually. He wants to feed us and then see us react in ministry among each other. And so some of us have rested too long, and we've been resting in the wrong place. Maybe you've become tolerant of things that are not God's will, You're no longer living in spiritual boldness, but you're just kind of beginning to accept everything around you. Tolerance is not always a good thing. Important thing number four. Not everyone who speaks a true word from the Lord is really a prophet. God is going to use, we're going to see in next service when we wrap this, uh, wrap this message up with part two, God is going to use this spiritually deteriorated, old, lying, deceiving prophet to speak a true word from God. But just because someone God uses someone to speak a true word from God doesn't mean that that person is right from God. Let me repeat, just because someone speaks the word of God doesn't mean that person is right with God. In fact, let me give you an example. If pastors, Buddy and Gay, would let me, I could just go find somebody off the street. And say, hey, I'll pay you $50. Um, I'm gonna type everything up and give you a manuscript. And in the second service, you just come in, you just read this manuscript, okay? I'll give you $50. That person would be speaking the word of God. It doesn't mean that person's right with God, but hey, I'll do it because she paid me $50. No, not everyone who speaks the word of God is right with God. Anyone can speak God's word. Anyone can quote scripture or preach a sermon or lead a Bible study. That doesn't mean that he or she is anointed or even a Christian. Because someone acts like a Christian, talks like a Christian, and even speaks the truth of God's word doesn't mean that he's really a Christian. I mean, people know, don't we? We know how to appear righteous but still have a heart full of sin. Important thing number five. This is our last important thing. How much does God ask of us? Complete obedience and faithful following is what he asks. So how much sin does God wink at? None. All sin must be judged. Now because of his disobedience to follow the express will of God and not turn aside to eat or to drink or to get off the path that God has directed him to walk in, Timog is going to experience some grave consequences in part two of this message. His ministry will soon cease and we're going to talk about that in a few minutes in the next service. Now that seems harsh to us. Wait a minute. Wait, okay. He was tired, Susie. He was thirsty. He rested. I know that seems harsh to us, doesn't it? Seems harsh. But remember, God is... Not playing games. Yes, he is long suffering, but there will come a point when he will not tolerate sin and disobedience any longer. Well, well, when does God's patience run out? Only God knows, and it's a chance that we don't want to take. Well, what should we do? Well, I think we should search our hearts as we close this service. We should ask God to search our hearts. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You see, the word of God does not change. Man may alter it. Man may lie about it and add to it, but God's word will endure forever. So this morning, what do you need to pray about? Have you possibly been deceived and you just haven't realized it? Maybe you took a wrong turn. Maybe there's a golden calf, an idol in your life. Maybe you've become too tolerant of, of sin around you. Maybe you've never truly repented. There's still, you're still holding on to that one thing. God wants it. He's calling you to live in radical obedience to the Lordship of his Holy Spirit. What do you need to pray about? Will you stand? I think our prayer could start with this. Jesus, would you be the very center of it all? Be the center of it all. Be the center of my life. Be the center of my church. Be the center of me, Jesus. Would you just be the center of it all? Do you want Jesus to be the center of it all? I do. I do. And so this morning, I'm going to be up here praying for that Jesus. I want you to truly be the center of all of my life. So if there's anything in my life that you're not the center of, I want you to bring it to my mind so I can give it to you. Do you want to pray that with me? Do you want to pray that with me, Jesus? That's what I want. I want you to be the center of it all. I don't want to be deceived. I don't want to get off on the wrong track. I don't want to be easily misled. I just want you to be the center of it all. If that's the desire of your heart, then would you come and pray with me right now? Let's pray.
1: From beginning to the end It will always be It's always been you, Jesus That's what I want, Jesus Jesus, come on
2: you, Lord, as a center of this church, Father, we invite you, Lord, to be Lord of all that happens this day and in the days ahead of us, Lord. I pray right now for every person that knelt at the altar today, Lord, humbling themselves before you, God, wanting you to be center of it all, Lord, and I pray that, Lord Jesus, you'll bless each one in a very special way, God. Lord, help us not to be deceived. Lord, help us to stay focused daily on you. If all our heads bowed and all our eyes closed and even those that are worshiping online this morning and you can humble yourselves there, but maybe this morning there are those of you that are seated here or standing here with us this morning that would say, you know what? I really didn't make it to the altar this morning, but I want God to be the center of my life. And I want you to pray for me as well. With no one looking around, except maybe Gay and I this morning, would you just say, buddy, would you, you close out this service today? Would you pray for me? Anybody out there today? Yes, see your hand. Yes, yes, all over, see your hands. God bless you, yes. Yes, God bless you, yes. God sees your hand, he knows your heart. Isn't that awesome? Father, we thank you. For those this morning that have raised their hand, Lord, they're acknowledging they want you to be the center of it all. So, Lord, I pray that during this revival, Lord, that we will, that they each one, Lord, will come to that point where they can boldly say, without a doubt, that you are the center of their lives, Lord, each of us, that you're the center of our church. I pray for our leadership, board and all those who serve alongside of us, Father, our staff, and Lord, I just pray that, Each of us, Lord, will make you the center of our lives. Lord, that nothing will stand in the way of what you have for us individually, our families, our church. Be the center of it all. We love you. In Jesus' name,
1: amen.